Hey everybody, welcome to Save Your Sorry. The podcast where we tell you about the rise and fall of a celebrity. And of course, do some trash talking along the way. I'm the Marsha fucking Brady of the Upper East Side, Jose. And I'm gonna put my thing down, flip it, and reverse it. Katrina Rochelle. Today we're back in our scheduled roles. Jose is going to be talking about a celebrity or figure, and who will that be? So last week you did backstage battles. Part I- duh. Yes. I can't do it. I can't say that right. <laughs> you notice since we started this podcast, we can't say anything. Sometimes I listen back and I think, what have I been talking this whole time? How has no one ever corrected me? Oh, bro. I feel that all the time. I'm saying words right. I, there's episodes where I'm saying 2013, but I'm still saying 2003. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck is. I just be, I just be talking. That's what just I Just shorten it, I think. <laughs> I'm not old, an old 313, 45, <laughs> So last week you did backstage battles and I thought to myself, she'd be having fun. She, I want to have fun. Like I want to do backstage battles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I would be doing backstage battles. For real? Uh-huh. You ain't nothing but a motherfucking copier. I worked hard for that topic. Everything I do, blood, sweat, and tears, and you're going to take it from me? Take my own fucking topic? Another reason I wanted to do it is because it was my idea, and you've done two episodes, and I've done zero. First of all, see, once again, once again, here you come over here half-stepped, half-stepping, and it's not in the name of love. Uh, did I not say that we both got 50% credit of backstage battles because we both kind of came up with it? I mean, you just said it in the text, but I had already been there. <laughs> I said it, and then you said, I'll do it. That is <laughs> <laughs> it's not what the fuck happened. <laughs> you know what? I ain't going to release the messages, but just know, listening public, this motherfucker <laughs> Okay. All right. Okay. Tell me about your more your backstage battles. Okay, I would be focusing on music groups that broke up. Oh, that's even better, low key. Fuck you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand you. So I have two stories for you today. One's a little bit older, so I'm not really sure if you know them. And <laughs> don't tr- the, try me. <laughs> the second one is more recent. I'm. Pretty sure you know them. If not by name, you'll know their song. Okay, I'm re- my body is ready. <laughs> the first group we will be talking about is a musical duo who has influenced future generations of musicians. But I don't hear them mentioned as much as like Elvis or the Beatles. Do you know who the Everly Brothers are? Okay, yes, that sounds familiar. I don't know what songs they sing off the top of my head, but I, I have heard of that group. I think today they are most known for their song Bye Bye Love, but they have some pretty big songs that we were talking about. Bye Bye Love. Right? They did the instant. <laughs> Not that one. For that one, you can listen to our Lou Pearlman episode. Okay, the Everly brothers were, in fact, brothers, as the name implies. It was Donald Everly who went by Don, and he was born February 1st, 1937, making him an Aquarius, and Philip Everly who went by Phil. And he was born January 19th, 1939, making him a Capricorn. Hey, get back home. Their parents were also country musicians. The father was named Ike, who was also a coal miner, and their mother was Margaret. As kids, they stayed with their parents as a group and appeared on their father's radio show. When the brothers were still teens, they decided to move to Nashville in 1955 with their mother. Their father had to stay behind for a little bit to work, 
but the brothers became songwriters for Roy Acuff's publishing company. Roy is known as a king of country, and he is often credited with helping give country's more modern sound. In 1957, the Everly Brothers released the single Bye Bye Love, and it charts at number two, and it's a hit song. But it was rejected by 30 other musicians, and I don't know if it would have been such a big hit if someone else recorded it. They had what it needed. Yeah, because, you know, they harmonize, they sing at the same time. But 30 musicians to pass on a song, and it, you know, does number two is, like, crazy to me. But I guess that happens, like, all the time in the industry. Mm-hmm. Also, in 1957, their song, Wake Up Little Susie, peaked at number one. And it was number one in the U.S. country and U.S. R&B. Which just so funny to me because <laughs> how much there seems to be a different in those two genres today. Country and R&B, is that what you said? Yeah, it was number one in the U.S. country and number one in U.S. R&B. Hmm. Nah, I really gotta listen to it. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird because it's not anything like we would consider R&B of today. It was also number one in Canada, number two in the U.K., and number three in Australia. So a pretty big song for their second single. 1958, All I Have to Do is Dream, hit number one. Bird Dog hit number two. They wouldn't have a number one in 1959, but they were still in like the top 10 range. 1960s, Kathy's Clown was their best-selling single and spent five weeks as number one in the U.S. and seven weeks in the U.K. And 1961, the duo starts losing their footing, which is weird because they just had, you know, their biggest selling song. Was there internal problemos? Well... Yes. And Somebody some, was mishandling the funds. Some backstage battles. <laughs> <laughs> you, you get it. Okay. Like I said earlier, the brothers were writers for Roy at Acuff's company, Acuff and Rose. Their mm-hmm. manager was Wesley Rose, one part of that company. And they were signed to them on Candid's Records. But now, with the huge success, they gained a 10-year deal with Warner Brothers. Wesley was still their manager, but he wanted the brothers to only use Acuff Rose writers. And the brothers wanted to spread their wings a little bit and use other writers. Mm-hmm. So they fired Wesley as their manager. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, they're like, we're going to use whoever we want. So now the brothers should go to do those other songwriters, but... Wesley Rose, he cut off their access to the HF Rose writers. And Uh. at that time, HF Rose had a monopoly on all the best writers, especially for the type of music they were making. Ah, so one of those situations where he wants you to work with only these writers who happen to be some of the best. And then when you say, no, I want to work with any and everybody, they say, okay, but you ain't working with these ones no more. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And it's... You know, it's kind of like they saw that the grass is always greener on the other side, but Mm. it it really wasn't because they lost that access. Yeah, I would have lied. I would have still worked with some people and just reached out. (laughs) You know what they be saying? Better ask for forgiveness information. I don't always believe that, but I'm just saying. I think that's what they tried to do at first, and they were like, no. Oh. So the brothers are songwriters themselves, and... They're like, we're going to write our own songs, no problem. Well, it was a problem because they were still under contract at HF Rose as songwriters. So they couldn't even use their own songs. That, what? Yeah. <laughs> they, As performers with Warner Brothers, they could do what they wanted to branch out to other songwriters. But they could not use their own songs because they were 
under contract as songwriters. That's something that I know was not told to them, nor did they understand when they said <laughs> they didn't want to work with those type of songwriters. They're like, that includes us? Yeah. That's dirty tricks, though. So fuck it, that manager, though, because that that's... If you want to cut off their... Um, you're going to want to cut them off the knees and say, oh, you can't work with uh, all these brand of artists, sure, whatever. But to then include the brothers themselves in that is you just being dirty. So it ain't like they didn't get away from somebody who was trash anyway. It yeah, just I bit really, them in the ass, unfortunately. I don't know much about the music industry, but I feel like this still kind of goes on today because you always hear like people not being able to release their songs or want to do what they want. And you really lose a lot of freedoms when you sign on to these big companies. I agree. I, I Yeah. Music industry, you hear all the stories and all these singers and performers come out later and it shows just how predatory it is, whether it's the first contract sign or everything after or your representation or whatever. It seems like no matter in what chain, Whatever chain link you hit in the music industry, somebody could or would take advantage of you. Yeah, and this was the 60s, and it's so crazy that even This was the foundation of all the the shit that they start to do now. It was built on this screwing over the artists, and it Mm -hmm. seems like that's still what they're doing. Yep. So the brothers decide they are going to write for themselves, but under a pseudonym. But they were soon found out and were sued for the rights of those songs. Nah, it's a pseudonym, bitch. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. They were both writing and they like put it under one person's name. And I don't know how they figured it out, but they were like, nope, those are ours. Somebody snitched them out. Probably so. That's the only way, honestly. Somebody snitches you out because if you both know what you're doing is not um, 100% on the up and up, you ain't going to spill the beans on yourself. So obviously somebody involved in the thing said, Okay, no problem. And then said, Hey, you know them brothers is writing songs. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him writing it down. Yeah, hey, uh, you gonna hear a song, it's gonna sound real good. It actually came from them. You gonna have to you uh, have to sue. Another thing that stopped their popularity is the brothers also signed up to join the Marine Corps to avoid mm. being drafted. When they got out of the Marines, Don started to use Ridlin. Wait, hold on. How does that, do they mean just like not as a surprise or they wanted to choose their branch of government? I mean, I think they their branch of, uh, you know what I'm saying, the whatever. I can't talk. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure. It was in a Rolling Stone article, I believe, that said that. And it just said they did it to not be drafted. So I've I don't been know damned if, like, if I'm an army man. They're pooping they, with them goddamn Marines. If they join like the reserves or something, so they would have be like sent overseas. I'm not uh, too sure. Okay, okay, I can see it if that's the way they did it. All right, so one of them started using Ritalin. You said Don, the older brother, started to use Ritalin, and he had this to say about it: "Quote: People didn't understand drugs that well then. They didn't know what they were messing with. It was a real disaster for a lot of people, and it was a real disaster for me. It mm. just got me strung out. I got so far out there." I didn't know what I was doing. And Ritalin was legal at the time and it was just like, you know, used as a pick-me-up. That's crazy, especially considering what they use it for now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he he got it. He didn't know what was... All the side effects that came with it. 
But in London, 1962, Don tried to overdose twice, and he was committed to a hospital. And, you know, it's the 1960s. You go to a hospital for trying to cure yourself. You get shock therapy. Oh, really? And and I don't know if that was every time. I just know around that time, you know, shock therapy was used a lot. Don had this to say. It was pretty primitive treatment at the time. Once they gave it to you, you couldn't remember how long you've been there. It knocked me back for a long time. I thought I'd never write again. Mm-mm-mm. Never. After, yeah. Which, it's kind of scary. I mean, I know very little, you know, seeing the movies on what shock therapy does and kind of through college and high school taking psychology classes. Like, But, you know, it has some side effects that could be scary, especially if they were abusing it. I mean, shock therapy is still used today, just not as much. After receiving shock therapy, Don was able to get off of Ritalin with the help of a psychiatrist. So not just the shock therapy. Yeah, I, I don't think the shock therapy is what, like, really helped him get off That's of it, what I I'm think. saying. Like, what the fuck is that going to do? Now I tried to kill myself and you said, let's run a whole bunch of electricity through your body. Yeah. That'll help. I just know that it, we were not made for electricity to run through our veins. <laughs> Continuously. So, yeah. The brothers are still recording, and at some points there is a fill-in for Dawn but the brothers are still a duo. That is until July 13th and 14th, 1973. The brothers had a two-night concert at Notberry Farms. Before the concert, Don tells Phil, I think we should go our separate ways. He also tells Phil, not only do I think we should go our separate ways, I think we should stop seeing each other for years. Damn! <laughs> yeah. Like, that is really kind of obsessive. Damn! I want nothing to do with you, god damn! Uh-huh. It's not, we need a small break, it's, we need to stop being a duo, and I don't want to see you for years. Mm-mm-mm. On the 13th, business is as usual. The brothers are singing, but then on the 14th, Don starts thinking he made a mistake. He's getting sad, thinking about all these years they were a duo, and now they're splitting up. And he would later say in this, he would later say this on a Rolling Stone article, quote, I was half in the bad that evening, the only time I've ever been drunk on stage in my life. I knew it was the last night and on the way out i drank some tequila drank some champagne started celebrating the demise it was really a funeral Mm. so don is on stage he's slurring his words he's forgetting the words and it's a disaster don is stumbling around the stage and phil's trying his best to keep it together the brother's big thing like is harmonizing together that's just how they sing they're a duo yeah and i don't really know how well you can harmonize with a drunk person um not great. No. <laughs> and drunk people always get loud. Uh-huh. Not even sometimes on purpose, just on accident, and it fucks it up. Fucks up and the whole you, vibe. You know they're going to be throwing in some extra oohs and ahs and there's some ad-libs. Make it better. Hey, <laughs> that's when the real R&B started. He was trying to throw in some runs. <laughs> Said, I'm trying to Everly brother. I'm trying to be an Isley brother. <laughs> <laughs> So, Phil tries to restart the song several times, but it just ain't no use. The crowd does what you expect, starts booing and turning on the brothers. Tomato, tomato! (laughs) Tomatoes in the chat, yeah. Phil was done. He walks off the stage, throwing his guitar down, smashing it. Phil tells the promoter, quote, I'm really sorry, Bill. I have to go. I can't go back on that stage with that man again. 
Don stays on the stage telling the crowd the Everly Brothers died 10 years ago. Mm-mm-mm. Don would later say this, quote, People thought that night was some brouhaha between Phil and me. They didn't realize we had been working our buns off for years. We had never been anywhere without working, had never known any freedom. We were strapped together like a team of horses. It was funny the press hadn't paid any attention to us in 10 years, but they jumped on that. And that was one of the saddest days of my life. And Phil had this to say. What we needed was to take a long vacation to get off the merry-go-round. There were too many people making too much money off of us, keeping us going. The tension between Don and I existed from day one, from birth, and we're going forever. Yeah, so I don't know then. I mean, it's really sad they are brothers and are a musical duo. But at this point, they spent their whole life singing together. Since they were kids, they were singing with their parents. But also, nobody forced them to do that. So if y'all was really this strained, well, then again, I don't know. That's how they make their livelihood. Well, yes and no, though. Here, I don't know then. Then y'all need to (laughs) shut the fuck up and get your shit together and go to therapy. I don't know, because when you say something like, it's different if you say, um, tension and strain over the years wore down your relationship. But when you but when you say something like the um there was strain from day one, it makes it seem like you've had issues with your brother since you guys were at least teenagers or such or started this band and instead of trying to solve that or help that, you guys just kept going and then now every it, it's just turned to dust and it's like, well, there was chances for y'all guys to stop it or at least come together and see that you guys were um, what do you call um, friends, not enemies on certain subjects, but then, I don't know. I just feel with brothers, especially, like siblings, you're going to have those moments, but when, you know, they got their success at a very early age, they went as teenagers, and then they became, you know, their first single was that number, where Bye Bye Love hit number two. Like, at that point, they kind of had to stick together, like, at they could say, well, we're just going to stick together. We're going to, like, ride this wave, and then we'll go our separate ways. But really, if you go your separate ways, people are always talking about your harmonies and you guys being a duo. Like, you can't be a duo with just one. Mm-hmm. I, I understand then now. Yeah, and, if you explain like that, like, yeah, once you start getting the hits, it's like, what are we going to do, break up now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're going to write. <laughs> And, you know, I see my brother maybe once a week, and by the end of it, I'm like, it was great, but I have to skedaddle. Like, I just can't imagine working my whole life with my brother. Yeah, I see all these gremlins' faces almost all the time. <laughs> but yeah. imagine, like, you see them, and then you have to go to work with them, and, like, you never leave them. Uh, one of my sisters I do work with, and I know I be Do you really? Her- yeah, I, be- I know I be getting on her nerves, though. Especially on the drive <laughs> there and back, because uh, I get road rage. <laughs> <laughs> so, the brothers would do solo careers, not to the success of their time as a duo, and they moved away from each other. And it said the brothers would not see each other for about 10 years. Sometimes you need at least 10 to to reset the clock. Yeah. And that was until they were at their father's funeral. And then they reunited for a concert on September 23rd, 1983 at London's Royal Albert Hall. Performing here had a special meaning because it was also the last place they performed with their father, Ike, when he was alive. That's sweet, though. Yeah. 
And they released another album with a single called On the Weedings of Nightingale, which Paul McCartney wrote specifically for them. And that peaked at number 50 on the charts, which is still pretty impressive. And they toured until 2003, when they toured with Simon and Garfunkel on their reunion tour. S and That's not to say everything was perfect between them. Don would say, quote, we give each other a lot of space. We say hello. We sometimes have a meal together. Everything is different about us, except when we sing together. Damn. And sadly, Phil would pass away on January 3rd, 2014, 16 days before he returned to 75. Don said, quote, I love my brother very much. I always thought I'd be the one to go first. The world might be mourning an Everly brother, but I'm mourning my brother, Phil Everly. Mm-hmm. He also said, quote, our love was and always will be deeper than any earthly differences we might have had. And Don would pass away August 21st, 2021. Oof. I just got chills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... It yeah. seems like they did have ongoing issues that they could not separate. I know their last album, it said that they recorded their parts separately, which I don't know how that worked. Like, I guess they just laid their tracks on top of each other. But uh-huh. And towards the end, I guess they, like, learned, based on that quote that Don said, you know, we give each other space, we sometimes have a meal together. I guess they learned to keep their distance. Yeah. It's- if they get too close, they're going to bite each other's heads off. Yeah, and I think in a in a way you could read like they really didn't like each other into that, but I kind of read it, I read into it that maybe they really did love each other that much because, okay, so they break up for 10 years essentially and they reunite with their father's death and uh, that spurs them at least coming together um, and possibly wanting to do music again. But it seems like they didn't have to do music again but because they knew they were going down that road and they also know how sometimes their relationship gets volatile and they do care about each other, that they structured them to work in a way that does work with them and doesn't uh, irritate each other. But yeah, they put those boundaries up that they know they need. Yes. I want to I do this music with you, but I also want to have my brother. So let's make sure we do this but we don't interact too much because we, we know we butt heads yeah and, and on stage it, it works perfect but you know mm-hmm. beyond the scenes it's not it's not there exactly i you know and i'm glad that they at least found that piece before they both died because you know sometimes that that shit does not happen you do not get resolution for a long time if ever when um when people start dying or when yeah. you know relationships get frayed, sometimes you just literally stay apart forever. They came back together. At the time of Phil's death, though, there is some some Tension? talk. No, some talk that they weren't like on speaking terms. Mm. But that's not confirmed. But yeah, that was them. That's their backstage beef. So we're going to move on to our next story. Ooh, who's next? <laughs> who's next? The next musical group we'll be talking about is the group City High. Hmm. What would you do? Uh-huh. <laughs> Didn't we and talk about them what, the episode a couple episodes ago? Or am I mistaken? City High? Maybe I was listening to somebody who was talking about City High, but or or I thought we did. But I, fo- I felt like somebody mentioned City High recently. I could be 
I mean, we might mention them, but we didn't do an episode <laughs> on them. I also could just also be mistaken. <laughs> okay. Well, their song that you were singing, What Would You Do? That peaked on number three in the UK charts and number eight in the US charts and was number one in the US rap charts. Mm. And the group was made up of three members, Ryan Toby, Robbie Pardlow, and Claudette Ortiz. Mm-hmm. Robbie Pardlow, at an early age, got into music. At age 10, his mother, realizing he was talented, enrolled him in a performing arts school. And from there, he was doing practices and trying out for different things, you know, just trying to become a star. And it said, like, this pretty much became a full-time job. When he was 18, he met 16-year-old Claudette Ortiz. Claudette says that her sister, who was two grades above her, as was Robbie, knew Robbie, and she warned her not to date him because he had been known to be drinking too much, where he would pass out, and he did not have a good reputation. And Claudette says Robbie was her first boyfriend, and at first the problems, you know, they had to deal with were about cheating. She claims Robbie would cheat on her, and when she would confront him, he would lie about it. Which, high schoolers, that's something that happens all the time. So-and-so tells you, I saw your boy flirting with this girl at a party, and he comes back and, you know, says, oh, she's just jealous. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, it, it happens to adults, too, but, you know, when you are young, guys especially were, you know, flat-out denied cheating, even when all the proof is there. And the girl would go with it until she learns better. Man, there was a few moments in high school, definitely, uh, when some of the some of our friends or some of just classmates had learned about some cheating. Yeah, <laughs> it's like all the proof is there. There could be a hickey on there, and you could be like, "Oh, he got hit in the neck." That's how <laughs> he got hit in the neck. Yeah, hickeys were, <laughs> bro. The 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 boys loved some hickeys in high school. You just see them, just. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Robbie is still pursuing music, and Claudette is right there with him. At 19, Robbie gets four offers for a solo contract, but then decides to join Wyclef's label. I don't know how to say it. It's either Buddha Basement, I think it is. Ooga Buddha Basement. Ooga. Yeah, as a duo with Claudette. Now, I've seen this reported two different ways. It was either Robbie and Claudette, and then Ryan joined because... Buddha Basement already had a duo, which I see more, or it was Robbie and Ryan and Wyclef had Claudette join to add a female to the mix. Either way, they became a trio. And Ryan already had some success being in the movie Sister Act 2. Yes, you know I know it. <laughs> he played Armal and sang the Oh Happy Day song. Oh Happy Day. I knew you were going to that part. I fucking love Sister Act 2, bro. The choir and the competition are out. Oh, bitch, don't don't get me started on it. Oh. I I honestly did not know he was from Sister Act 2. La, 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 la. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm done. I got people in this house like, bitch, if you don't shut up. Ryan says he was trying to make it solo, but people were not interested in someone who would sing and rap and wanted him to pick a lane. But he wanted to do both. Mm, little did he know, in a few more years, <laughs> you're going to have Mr. Drake come on the scene. <laughs> That's, yeah, he was talking in an interview I read, and, you know, he's like, now everyone does it. But back then, they are like, no. Mm-hmm. Ain't that some shit? <laughs> yeah, it's like, they, they could have had early success if they just would have let it happen instead of trying to fight against it. 
Mm, yeah, but you, yeah, people just don't know it at the time. Mm-hmm. All three of them were from the same city and went to the same high school. So I don't know if that's how they got called City High, but I couldn't really find any other reason. So the group is formed and they start working on the album. Already, though, the relationship between Robbie and Claudette starts to crumble. Claudette claims they were at a 4th of July party and Robbie became blackout drunk and they started arguing and he got in her face saying, you ain't shit, you ain't ever gonna be shit. She says he is so close she can feel his spit hitting her face as he yells at her. And then you feel his blood hitting as you strike him. <laughs> okay, maybe that wasn't the right thing to say, but then <laughs> who am I? <laughs> and she's just humiliated. She's at this party and he's yelling at him for in front of all these people, you know, in this music industry who are important. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Bad scene. So, yeah, so she never, she just, you know, took it. Also, um, dumbass, um, you're fucking up your reputation, Robbie, right there. You think, I, you think everybody ain't about to talk about this shit? Uh-huh. They're, oh, they're so talented. Oh, I was at a 4th of July party, and he was yelling in her face. Yeah, they got some issues and shit. I ain't going to deal with that. <laughs> she says another time she was confronting him about a girl, and he threw a brush at her. She ducked, but he threw it with so much force that it went through the bedroom door. She said at night, like... On nights like these, she would walk two miles to get her to her house when he passed out. She says one night when she walked out, they were arguing and he started hitting his own car and broke the headlight and was hitting the hood of the car. Robbie's mother ends up coming out and asking Claudette to come in. And when they sit down, they're talking. His mother tells Claudette she just needs to stop adding fuel to the fire. And and that just told you where where everybody's head is in in the relationship you are. You got a abusive dumbass drunk, and then you got a enabler as a mother. Get the fuck out of there. Yeah, it's really such a bullshit thing, but I feel it's also an older generational thing. Like the woman's always to blame for provoking the man. And I know it's, it's still, still wrong, and it's still bullshit. And yeah. It's, I don't care what it was. Y'all, y'all gotta grow out of it. I don't care uh-huh. what nobody went through back then. I mean, it's okay to acknowledge things for what it is. Yeah. Know? Like he's the one come he's the one being drunk and hitting shit. And it's like, well, you need to just not provoke him. It's like, what? Yeah, if you want to enable the man, don't enable the man and then shame this woman as if she's doing the wrong thing. If you want to enable that badass, stupid ass behavior of your son. Go ahead, but to then pull this young lady in and gaslight her into thinking she's the problem is fucking wrong. Yeah, she said that Claudette said she was going to leave, but you know, the mother said, Come in, come in, like, let's talk about she thought she was gonna help instead of putting the blame on her. Yes, mothers are very, um, you know, it's because if you have a good relationship with a mother or your mother, you all sometimes view them in a positive light. But sometimes there are shysty mothers. Uh huh. You know? Claudette claims that Robbie was almost always drunk, but while they were working on the album, her management asked her not to break up with Robbie. She said after a while, it just became too difficult and terrible for her. She said one day he walked past her and asked, So this is it? We over? And she responded, Yes. You so bitch seems- ass boy. <laughs> so it seems to her account. By the end, she was only with him to keep the peace. And she claims they were broken up before the first single album even came out. That's crazy that you had to stay together even through that. Yeah. 
I would have, and it, I know at this point she probably didn't have a lot of leverage, or you know, back in the day you're too scared because you're 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 new. And but, she's a 16 year old girl. Yeah. Oh my fucking god! I forgot how young they were for a second. Everybody need to be sued. Actually, now that you mention it. <laughs> <laughs> he was six. Oh, fuck, I forgot the high yeah, school. Yeah, 16-17 depending on the timeline oh, and no. he's 19. They was ruining her. I mean, they didn't ruin her, but they were trying to. How do you uh -huh. say stay with this person? Never mind. I'm not even going to say what I thought she should do because she's 16. Where were her parents? Nobody was advocating for her. Where was no. Wyclef? Oh, y'all wrong. <laughs> Everybody got to get sued. I, I forgot about these ages. Yeah, it really young ages. This is a oh, this is a man now, a nineteen year old man with a sixteen year old, and y'all like stay with this, stay with this man who's who's being very verbally and mentally abusive. And yeah, he's not even legal drinking. He's drunk at his house, and his mom is still blaming the girl. And nobody put safeguards or boundaries on this man. Nobody was like, well, you can only go, or you're gonna have a babysitter who watches y'all not get drinks or. The first, it's always the first thought is to go to the woman and try to restrict and mold her. Yeah, that that's what they were trying to do, make her the babysitter. Basically. Stay with him. You, He's good for you. I mean, you're good for him is what they say. Uh-huh. you know he's not good for her. Yeah, he'll calm down. Once uh -huh. the album comes out, he's just stressed. Mm -mm -mm. But don't add stress. That's how you know they didn't want much from them. Because no offense, how long can a um, situation stand like that? It, it can't stay for years. Maybe an album, maybe two. But if you are, you're not going to really invest in a group where you see that the downfall is inevitable. So it just shows me, number one, they didn't really put no real effort into this group. As well as they saw that this is going to be like some short-lived popularity. So might as well throw everything at the wall, you know, Hail Marys and everything. And then if they still come out the fire, then great. We'll still work with you. But yeah, I don't think they thought their songs would pop off and they were under contract for an album. It's like, okay, let's get it out. And then, then it, after that, figure it out. Uh-huh. Claudette says she didn't want this breakup to cost her an opportunity and that she made a commitment to Wyclef by signing the contract and she's a stick to it. So the first single was, what would you do in 2001? Robbie and Ryan both have writing credits. Ryan wanted the song to be like a country song that tells a story. He said, quote, the contrast was like a dark concept with happy music. Like, what, what would, would you, you do with your home at home? <laughs> like, what would you do is upbeat and happy, but it's the saddest story ever. It has me trying to be different. And it was me trying to be different and wanting to, to set apart from what everybody else on the radio was doing. And I think it worked. I think everyone who loves the song have a moment when you realize the lyrics and like, oh, that's fucked up. Yeah, let me just say this right now. First of all, the song is okay. I do not really like the song. The song is popular. Um, I say it a lot. I've heard it since I was a child. But let's get this clear. Um, the song is very um, fucked up as far as the lyrical content and as well as we basically are slut shaming. <laughs> So let's get it through our heads that what would you do is not a actual good song. It's an okay song for the year it came out, but the lyrical content is very questionable and problematic at this point. So I'm I'm just gonna say that. I'm just sick by the song. Of course you would. <laughs> what does that mean? You don't really I, care for for women's rights. <laughs> I don't 
How do you think women's rights is about a senior parent not having just to one in the, you as anti become a sex worker when she doesn't want to? But basically, let's let's hold on. No, we're gonna take a pause and let's go to these lyrics now. Okay, it's not a huge part, but basically, yes, this man is talking to this woman. Oh, talking to uh, they're at a night basically, and they got these strippers out there, and he's talking to one of them that he knows and was basically talking about why you. Why you in there dancing? And it's basically about her dancing for her son. And it, it seems like she's being shamed. <laughs> that part she is being shamed for, but then she does more into it. Sleep with a man for a little bit of money. And? his dad is gone. And we're Smokey Rock now. But he says, okay, here's the other verse. Girl, you ain't the only one with a baby. That's no excuse to be living all crazy. That is true. Now, great. She's going through something, but she is risking her livelihood to make this money not just for her but for her child on the ground and he's like i know you're doing it for your child but fuck that you ain't got no excuse other people got bad lives too <gasps> and, and, and like you said it's not like she's sleeping with people because she wants to she is forced into this business in a way we don't know what way because it's literally just a, a few minute song but i just felt like this the song was good for its time, but we have moved on. <laughs> yes. But yeah, you stand by your song. I, I still stand by it. I was listening to it all day today. <laughs> <laughs> Not you and your walkman going through your house singing what you do. I really loved the song when it was like first out, you know, when it would just pop up randomly. So the song was nominated for a Grammy for best R and B performance by a duo or a group in two thousand two. But they had some <laughs> stiff competition, like Contagious by the Isley Brothers. Oh, bitch. <laughs> bitch. It's 2 a.m. Just come. Okay, don't even get me. I was singing that whole song. Do you want to guess what duo or group won, won and that these guys lost to? I have no idea. Duo what musical and group? TLC, uh, Destiny's Child. Um, I'm only naming. You're right with one of those. Uh, it was 2001. I'm guessing uh -huh. it was TLC, Waterfalls. I don't know. Shit. Destiny Child Survivor. Out <laughs> <laughs> of all the Destiny Child songs? Which I thought Contagious. No offense to Destiny Child. I love Destiny Child. But I thought Contagious or What Would You Do should have won. Yeah, I definitely don't see Contagious winning just because of the type of song it was. But, hmm. I don't know. I mean, maybe it was we were in the woman empowerment era, but not the, you know, the support the the single mothers era. I don't know. They also won the year before for Say My Name. So, and you know, Grammy. I mean, all these award shows are voting competitions. You know, from the the Academy of all those artists and whoever. So, if, if Destiny Child was popping, it was a popularity contest. So, yeah, of course they won. Yeah. Um, City High, their second single off the album would be Carmel featuring Eve, which peaked at number 18, mm. doing a little better in the UK, peaking at number 9. And Robbie's alcohol and drug use is getting more and more out of control, where they're missing interviews and he's being drunk at shows. And the timeline here gets a little icky, tricky, but at some point, Robbie claims he watched Claudette and Ryan get closer together, and that caused his drinking, claiming they were still together. 
Don't nobody give a fuck about your heartache, <laughs> Robbie. You all motherfucker. Oh, you watch people get closer. Oh, was it because your abuse pushed them together, or was it just because you were a trash ass human being? Okay, I'm sorry. Finish. Claudette says that was not true. He had been drinking already, and while she did get together with Ryan and married him in 2004, she did not cheat on Robbie. And she just viewed it as being on the road on this tour with Ryan and Robbie. She got closer to Ryan and felt like they were best friends. And she says Robbie didn't respect anyone, and she felt like she didn't owe him anything by doing with Ryan. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe if Robbie wasn't such a terrible fucking person, she might not have not uh, she might not have gotten with Ryan in the way she did, or as fast as she did, or ever. But when you are in, let you're a woman. You're, she's literally in the middle in this. What's a tri- what a, a group? Oh, they're three, so they're a group. Whatever. I'm about to call them a triplet. A trio. <laughs> a trio. That's the word. A triplet. <laughs> when you're in the middle of this trio and you are paired with this one man who is literally fucking terrible to you, puts you down and does this and embarrasses you, and then you're faced with this possible other option of a different version man who is nothing like that. You may not even be romantically interested in him, not saying she wasn't, but sometimes just having that breather of something different attracts you to another side away from where you are. Like if she's faced with Ryan, when Robbie's being trash, of course, you go closer to a safe option. Like who knows, that could have been orchestrated by Robbie unintentionally. Just because your behavior. So Claudette and Ryan would have two kids together and be together for eleven years before calling it quits. Claudette was a minute. Yeah, Claudette would put out some music. Two thousand six, she would have her first single, "Can't Get Enough," and which didn't do that good. She was also on "Dance Like This" with Wyclef. Wyclef would later remake this song with Shakira, and it became "Hips Don't Lie." <laughs> Damn! <laughs> if you listen to dance like this, like White Clef's part is this almost this, it sounds almost the same. The song, just a few difference, and you know he says Shakira, Shakira. I was gonna say White Clef isn't really <laughs> known for like uh, changing it up, switching it up. He pretty yeah. much, <laughs> he pretty much stays to what he knows. Yeah, and I believe that song was for Dirty Dancing Havana Nights, which it's a movie no one saw. I was just about to say, really? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's on that soundtrack. Oh, yeah. That's that's not the dancing. What's, what do you say? Um, the original Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing. Yeah, that's not the Dirty Dancing people like. I was going <clears> to <throat> call that Dancing with the Stars. 2013, she was about to join the U.S. Air Force Reserves due to financial issues. But she got on the show R&B Divas for two seasons instead. Oh, yeah. 2015, she was in Tyler Perry's play, Medea on the Run. And she has a reoccurring role in the show, If Loving You Is Wrong. I didn't know about the reoccurring role, but I did know about her being in that play. Because I actually watched that. That was actually one of uh, Medea's better-ish plays more recently. Oh. And, yeah, uh, I mean, that's good for her, seeing how she was low on work. Because... One the the one thing I will say about Tyler Perry is that love him or hate him, like his writing, hate his writing, is that when he finds actors that he likes, he uses them. So 
a lot of the actors he's used in plays and TVs are either like new actors or struggling actors or veteran uh-huh. actors who are kind of coming off of their waves and stuff. And he makes sure that they stay employed and get a and get a continuous check. So I'm happy that she's she's somewhere and she's getting he's, money because she deserves it out of all three of them motherfuckers. That's true. He's also the one who gave Alvin his job, isn't he? Yes, he's the one who gave Jeffrey. Uh, what's his his real last name? Jeffrey. There's some celebrities I'll just call yeah. by their character name. And, yeah, and Cicely Tyson. Um, I yeah. already knew he was taking care of her, but when that article came out, I didn't know the de- depth of it that he was basically taking care of Cicely Tyson for like almost the last ten years of her life, and that's so admirable and so great. And nobody but Cicely Tyson deserved that. So yeah, love or hate Tyler, I, I I love what he does when he supports actors and stuff like that. Yeah, there's stuff you can point out about him, but he's definitely earned my respect by doing stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan Toby is still in the industry writing music. Most famously, he worked on Usher's Confession album. Mm. Rob- and that's pretty much for him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he just, he has songwriting credits here and there, so I just didn't want to include them. (laughs) Robbie appeared on the show Intervention in 2010, blaming Claudette for his drinking. Oh, no. Which, that's where a lot of I got this information was Claudette coming out, like, clearing her name, saying, we weren't in love when, you know, me and and Ryan got together, and, you know, saying, like, he was abusive. You can't. Not when the story begins like that. Not when you being three years older and uh, being the abusive one in the relationship can say that somebody's the cause of your downfall. Yeah. And even if somebody, and even and even if she would, let's say in a weird ass way, she was the one who got him to start drinking. Everything else after was your action. So the continued downfall is still going to be your fault, even if you could blame it on her, which you can't. No, and it's just sad. I mean, he was drinking since high school before that when he was a kid in 2010. But, you know, Robbie agreed to get go to rehab. And as far as I could see, he is sober. But I can't. I, I didn't find anything else about him. I, I hope he's sober. I hope he's doing well because, I mean, Nobody deserves to just continue downhill and never get better. I mean, just because you're drunk and that you have issues like that doesn't mean that you can't get help and become better. But, yeah, hopefully he's gotten over some of those mental blocks of blaming people or whatever was causing his continuous drinking. Because and when you solve those problems is when you really can stay sober. I think... Now, I don't know him, so that's just my speculation, but I <laughs> think he probably is thinking in his head, like, I had this huge opportunity, and they probably would have been signed, you know, they were Grammy-nominated, they were on the charts for a second album, if it wasn't for him. He's the one who, he fumbled this bag, and there's no one to blame but him, really. Because Claudette, when she, when they broke up, she was like, you know what, this is going to be business, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the job done, and Ryan... He was just there. He was doing the job, too. Yeah. But that is the story of what happened to City High. And that concludes our episode. But we do like to end every episode on a positive note with some form of media we want to recommend. Talk about, discuss, explore. Do you want to go first? Um, Sure, I can go first. 
Um, I was going to do a specific show, but I think I'm just going to do, <laughs> I'm going to just do a whole channel. A channel. So I'm going to do a whole, I guess, channel. So I was just reminiscing about my childhood, you know, trauma. And um, I was just thinking about these new cartoons and what I used to watch and stuff like that. And so I started thinking about PBS, which, um, if you don't know, stands for the Public Broadcasting Service. And I felt like more than anybody else during my childhood, PBS had the educational cartoons on lock. And of course they were educational, but they were cartoons that were actually funny at that time, as well as teaching you stuff, which as we know nowadays, the stuff that they be teaching children sometimes don't need to be taught. And so I just wanted to share some of my favorites and what I thought about them. Some of the classics were, of course, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, um, Reading Rainbow, Barney, and Wishbone. I mentioned all those because as much as I um, have a secret love for those, I did not watch um, those after a certain age. I kind of aged out of them. Mm -hmm. But uh, to reminisce, uh, Mr. Rogers coming in and uh, changing his cardigan, which is one of the reasons I fucking love a sweater slash cardigan. And seeing Mr. Rogers come in, change his jacket, put on a cardigan, change his shoes. Like, man, come on, tell tell me more about outside inside clothes, you know? Mm-hmm. And then Wishbone, um, the dog was so cute. The stories were so boring. I'm so sorry. Um, Barney and Friends, I always wanted a bag that you could reach out and get construction paper, scissors, and markers. And I was pissed every time that I reached into a big-ass duffel bag and it wasn't there. No, okay. <laughs> Some of my other favorites ever the uh, over the years: Teletubbies, Zabumafu, Dragon Tales, Clifford the Big Red Dog, and uh, Maya Miguel, um, and Between the Lions, Sagwa, George Shrinks. Those are all great. But I guess the best one is Between the Lions. Between the Lions, if you didn't know, was kind of a reminds me of like a Sesame Street type of show where the show is about the library. But um, there are all these different stories within and different segments. And it was just always um, educational and funny. And it grabbed my attention. Me and my sisters and my brother still sing these songs to this day. I mean, Cliffhanger, Hanging from a Cliff. Um, Dr. Ruth, what, I can't say her name. What's her name? Um. <laughs> Dr. Wordheimer, Dr. Ruth Wordheimer, who would give you a word and explain it to you. Um, Wayne's World about the knights who would josh, uh, do the, uh, what do you call it? Josh, j- jousting? How do you pronounce that, Jose? Jousting? Jousting, jousting. Bitch, I can't say shit. But it was. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, at first, I think meant joshing. Yeah, I was like, they're not joshing around. <laughs> j- j- jousting, yeah. The thing where they run with the fucking th- the two pointed sword. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know why that. Why was that a thing? What did that accomplish except for hurting horses and people? But I digress. It was like, you know, if they could stand on the horse. I think it's cool. And you're an animal lover? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, vegetarian. <laughs> and of course, over a decade, y- you have you, you've locked down. 
Um, but yeah, I just reminiscing about my childhood, some of the cartoons, you know, um, uh, cartoons nowadays are good. There are some good ones, but uh, I just wanted to talk about some of the ones that I was very familiar with um, that I loved so much that I feel like hopefully they don't take off the air. And I only mentioned that because I know that a few was it, a month ago, a couple months ago, um, they took author off, off for sure. Like it was ending. And I, oh, under yeah. I understand like, you know, People want to move on. So uh, end, girl. Yeah, contents end. I mean, content ends and you have to just start new. But I do hope that these tapes, these these episodes are still made available to the public because what happens sometimes when these great shows end is you never hear from them again. They don't come back or they don't pop up on like, what do you call it? Reruns or nothing. And I uh -huh. feel like PBS more than anybody has such a wealth of knowledge um, that would be so beneficial to this generation. And I don't huh? think that the the kids of this generation even know about some of the, the, the great shows that they have or had. No, that's just time. You know, the carousel never stops turning. I know everything gets old and then new again, but really gets old or gets cycled out. And, you know, Sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worst. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, that's how it is. And, you know, just because you grew up with it, I think, like, shows that you watch now, you're like, oh, this ain't shit. Where's my shows I grew up with? Yeah, and I'm not trying to be the old man, old lady uh, uh -huh. behind the screen I'm not door. saying you are. No, no, no. <laughs> what the fuck you call me? <laughs> I'm not I'm accusing not, you of that. I'm not trying to be like that necessarily, but I just see sometimes, I, I just feel like in some ways with the children, they're they they think they're maturing fast when what they're doing is just watching mature content younger, and I think that is thinking that's making them think that their brains are growing and excelling and learning when in reality they are not exactly where they need to be because they're still missing out on very fundamental stuff but i digress that's probably a whole different conversation i've just leaned into uh -huh. but, um yeah i just uh i love those pbs shows specifically you know between the lions and dragon tales and sagwa those were like my faves miami gale my fucking faves back in the day cyber you know just coming after school popping that shit on or staying home and watching clifford emily elizabeth <laughs> the bitch with two first names Man, nothing like it. Yeah, I wasn't a PBS kid. Well, you had was, cable. Yeah. Jose, I, I didn't want to say. Jose, I did not want to say those are Porsche. Jose, I did not. Jose grew up in the suburbs. <laughs> he had cable his whole life. A bitch like me did not have cable. Me and my family struggled. We didn't get cable consistently until fifth grade. That is all. Yeah, but sometimes... We just had the Spanish channel, so <laughs> a different struggle. <laughs> but you know Spanish. <laughs> but so that was I, a different struggle. You're right. I, you are I right. always hated the freaking dub Spanish voices. I felt like it was always the same actors and it was <laughs> they paying so the same actors to say the same thing. Uh -huh. That's how they save money, though. <laughs> Um, What's yours? My media is the show Disappeared, 
or really any show podcast has to deal with missing people, it always gets me because these people have to be somewhere. Like, sometimes you know, okay, this person probably murdered them or they are buried somewhere, unfortunately. But sometimes it's like they just vanished or what if they chose to leave on their own? And men, especially, who go missing, that, like, always, you know, because if a woman, no offense, but, like, they're easier to be victimized just because they're smaller. Damn. You know, they're, they're more likely to be trafficked. But with men, it's like, where do they go? I always think of, like... They started a new family. Sometimes. But I think of, like, Brian Schaefer, who went into a bar, and then they never saw him leave on camera. And is it, like, is he still in that bar behind a wall? Did he somehow get out without being noticed? Mm -hmm. Did someone sneak him out? Or there have been cases where it's, like, after a couple decades... <clears throat> They find someone like submerged in a river by their house in a car. And it's so sad because like their family the whole time has been looking for them and they've been close to home. Like there was um Kyle, I think Clink Cells, Clink Scales. And he was like missing for like 45 years. And yeah, he was coming home from campus and it's and he was found in a river 45 years later, and it's like why wasn't this river checked? Was it checked, but not deep enough? And I always just think like maybe they're in the morgue as a Jane or John Doe. And I know it's like, you know, a lot of it has to do with resources. They don't have resources, but sometimes it's just like a fuck up from the cops or the detectives just being like, they probably ran away. They're probably, they're come back. They're on drugs, you know, yeah. something like that. Not investigating enough. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like, so many missing indigenous women like oh they really don't get the justice in uh thorough police work they deserve sometimes yeah and i mean not to make it like a race thing but hey <laughs> no just like the whole when what's her face debbie petito went missing everybody was like using that as an example like why mm -hmm. is her case being so highly elevated mm -hmm. and you have all these other people who went missing and no one like really talks about it and, and, and they did Gabby wrong, too. They totally fucked that up. Yeah, it's just, there's just missing people. I That's how I got into, like, true crime, because I would always listen to the missing episodes, because I was just one like, where, where'd they go? Where are they now? And it always gets me. I was, I try to figure it out. If I had, if I had the money, I would get, like, you know, two sniffing dogs. I would get a diving team. Mm -hmm. I would just always be looking. They they kind they call me the finder. I'd find everyone. <laughs> Why do you have to have a name? <laughs> Why do you have to give yourself a fucking name? That's you know the finder. We are the opposite though, because when it, uh, when um I listen or watch true crime, anytime it's a missing persons episode, I have to I have to skip it. It hurts for some reason. It just hurts me too much. Whereas when these episodes when unfortunately they die or get killed or something has happened that is so tragic but it is a ending and yeah I feel so sad and worried and concerned for these families that have these missing people that they and they just don't have no they have no conclusion they have no answers and that type of shit scares the life out of me if i were to ever become a mother like i don't know what i would do if you you you, you know how it would 
you know you would be broken possible i would say if if my child died i would be broken but if my child went missing that's just a whole nother situation where it's just like you're broken but also they want you to live on with the the possibility and then you just don't know and time passes it just fucks me up so yeah, yeah mis missing stories always tug on my heart too much where i just can't get involved i can't listen to it like that i think my thing is which is i <laughs> i think i could like solve it i like you know i would find a missing piece mm -hmm. you like which, that you like the mystery of it and you like the the which the you know, aspect of like, you maybe being able yeah. to <laughs> you said not to you could i'm only laughing because i just picture you with the whole push pin board with the, <laughs> the string because you know i like you said i feel for the family so bad especially mm -hmm. when it's kids or when it's, i don't you the mothers always gets me because they always hold out hope or then sometimes they i was watching one on discovery the discovery app and this poor woman she kept getting like these false um like I saw your kid here, I saw them there. It's like, oh. and then people get charged for that, and it's like, why would you do that? And then like, I was just trying to give her hope or something like that. So it like it pisses me off so bad. Like, why would you do that to a, someone who's already looking for their family, trying to have hope? And uh, it's just it's so sad all around. And but I know they have to be somewhere. They have to be. Yeah. Yeah. Or someone knows. Sometimes and I'm like, someone knows. Someone has to know. Like. I don't know. It, it, it always gets me. But that's my media. <laughs> Missing people. But disappeared. I was watching that. You earlier. said I end on a positive note. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> I, I lies. I wasn't going to go that far into it. I was just saying disappeared. But <laughs> I dragged you. Uh-huh. It just... But sometimes they are found. I guess that's positive. Yes. Yes. Sometimes these these stories coming to light on TV and having specials do very much help. So that's always the um, the bright side is that unfortunately these family and friends may have to relive their trauma, but there have been cases where they have been vindicated, where things have happened for the good. So, you know, I try to keep that in mind as well. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm just leaving it there because I should go on and on. You're going to do some more. And I would like to open my own PI. I was giving you another example of a case that, like, no, I, I could just go on. Don't make cases. me sad no more. Yeah. Um, but we do have to end this episode unless you have anything to add. Um. No, everybody stay happy and healthy out there. It's a struggle. I, I know I'm going through it, but we can do it. We can do it. So can you. And what else you can do, you can leave us a rating or a review. You can reach out to us on Instagram. It's Save Your Stories, but just at the podcast. You can write us an email with your suggestions, with your media, mm -hmm. happy media, sad media, all media. Mm -hmm. And that's saveyourstory at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us on Twitter, Save Your Sorry. The your is spelled you are. That is all of it. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. I promise we won't keep doing backstage battles maybe once a month. Once a month's not bad. Uh, yeah, this is the last <laughs> backstage battle for a, a minute, but I did not know. For September. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did not know this man was trying to take my idea. It's my idea. Sure.
<laughs> Let us know whose idea it is. Okay, if it doesn't matter, then it's mine. No, I was talking to the viewers. <laughs> <laughs> Who Talk they to me. came up with this idea? Talk to me. It's mine. <laughs> <laughs> My, oh, okay, this will be the backstage battle we have. Thank you so much for listening, guys. It's been wonderful. Bye. See ya. No one is called, but my homies and it wasn't some contagious. collectors. Sam, it wasn't contagious. When somebody wants to... Okay, we don't move on it. We okay, don't move I'm on sorry. it. Who's the... Yeah, hold on. Cut this far out. Cut the track. Let me, Let me spit facts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good song. I'll have to listen to that one. <laughs>